The Mental Sunday resource is free and includes everything your church would need to host an invitational Sunday experience on mental health and faith. Hope Made Strong, along with mission-minded partners, created downloadable resources that include research tools, sermon notes, video, social, and marketing assets, and a seven-day devotional. Plus, there are community invitations and congregate giveaways. If you're interested in downloading this free resource, go to mentalhealthsunday.com. The first thing I wanted when I went was in that state of mind, suffering and, and having that, you know, trauma going going through all that mental illness is I wanted people to believe me. And that was my heart's cry. I just wanted people to believe me because then I could feel reassured that I was okay and that was it was going to be okay. Whether it was true or not isn't for us to determine. But to be able to be validated is is the biggest desire of somebody in that frame of mind. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today, we are continuing a series honoring Mental Health Awareness Month and talking about psychosis, which is the specific feature or symptom that is seen in a few different diagnoses. The goal of this month is to build awareness of different mental illnesses, and we're going to be doing some myth busting, and I want to highlight some incredible people who have lived experience, but have taken what have been some of the hardest and darkest moments of their life and are now using them to equip and strengthen others. And today we get to hear from Katie Dale. She is an author, artist, and advocate, and has lived experience with psychosis. There is a tremendous amount of misunderstanding about psychosis. And so I want to provide some context of what psychosis is and what it's not. Many people think psychosis is demonic. However, like I've said in previous episodes, while I think that demonic activity is active today because it says so in the Bible, I have personally not seen it directly in regards to psychosis in my 15 years of experience. The people who I have worked with have responded to medications and therapy, and if it was demonic, I don't think these treatments would have reduced or relieved the symptoms. Psychosis can occur in a number of mental health and physical disorders, so it's often difficult to know what has caused the first episode. But research shows that genetics place a person at greater risk of developing symptoms of psychosis. And also psychosis, a psychotic episode may be triggered by many different environmental factors like stress or even substance use but also an imbalance in brain chemicals such as dopamine and serotonin have also been found to be a factor. But a person who's experiencing psychosis definitely needs to see a medical doctor for an assessment to rule out any physical illnesses that may be the cause. For example, urinary tract infections in the elderly are commonly known for causing a person to have psychotic symptoms. Now, the word psychosis is used to describe a condition that affects the mind in which people have trouble distinguishing between what is real and what is not. 
in about three out of every hundred people will experience an episode of psychosis in their lifetime. So it's a lot more common than people realize. Psychosis affects men and women equally and occurs all across cultures and socioeconomic groups. But something people don't often realize is that psychosis usually first appears when someone is in their late teens or early 20s. A number of mental health illnesses can include psychosis as a symptom, including the most common one is schizophrenia. And a diagnosis for schizophrenia requires a person to have some psychotic symptoms for at least six months with a significant decline in their ability to function. But it's also seen in bipolar disorder and it's often associated with manic episodes. Schizoaffective disorder is when a person has symptoms of schizophrenia and at some point throughout their illness, also at the same time or concurrently experience symptoms of a mood disturbance. So it's like psychosis or schizophrenia and bipolar kind of put together. Other times we see psychosis is when it's drug-induced psychosis. And this is when using drugs can sometimes cause psychotic symptoms. Organic psychosis appears as a result of a physical illness or head injury. And brief psychotic disorder is a type of psychosis that lasts less than three months and is sometimes triggered by major stress in someone's life, like a, a death in the family. And then the final one is delusional disorder. And this is a type of psychosis that consists of very strong strong, fixed beliefs and things that are not true, but without the presence of hallucinations. And before I describe what are the differences between delusions and hallucinations, I want to note here that multiple personality disorder is not listed because multiple personality disorder is not a diagnosis or a label that is used anymore. And it hasn't been used in almost 20 years. It's now called dissociative identity disorder, and it is more related to trauma than it is uh, schizophrenia. And I definitely want to put a note in here that it is highly insensitive to make light of this order or to use the term multiple personality disorder to describe someone's behavior or choices or situation because dissociative identity disorder is very debilitating and it is caused by exposure to extreme or severe trauma at a young age. And we definitely don't want to make light of that. In fact, I would actually ask that people don't use any diagnosis to, to characterize situations or behavior, because this really just adds bias, stigma, and shame around mental illness. And there is no shame in experiencing mental illness. Psychosis affects the way uh, a person thinks, feels, and behaves. The experience of psychosis varies from person to person, and it can come on suddenly or develop very gradually over time. The symptoms of psychosis are often categorized as either positive or negative. And we can get into this much deeper, but I'm going to try to keep this really simple. Uh, When I say positive or negative, I don't mean like good or bad, but positive as in symptoms are added on to a person's features and negative is like things that are taken away. That's how it's helped me remember. So symptoms that are described as being positive are things like delusions, hallucinations, and uh, disorganized speech or thought. So Delusions are false beliefs that are firmly held uh, beliefs, thoughts, or um, opinions. So these are things that they are think or believe. And hallucinations are things that people see or that are not there. And hallucinations are about the five senses. So it could be hearing, seeing, tasting, smelling, or feeling like something is not actually there. 
And then disorganized speech or thoughts or behavior is when someone is switching rapidly between sub, uh, subjects and speaking, like you can't keep up with what they're talking about, or the person finds it hard to concentrate or follow conversations, and they're struggling to complete everyday tasks. Now, negative symptoms involve normal functioning becoming lost or reduced, so they take away. And these are things like restricted emotional or facial expressions. They aren't able to, they don't have the facial expressions or it's called flat affect or the ability to um, communicate or uh, show that strong emotions. They also have restricted speech or verbal fluency. So they have limited language skills to be able to describe what they're speaking of, or they have difficulty generating ideas or thoughts. Uh, that's kind of like a... Um, an executive functioning. They don't have the ability or they have limited ability, I should say. They, it's not that they don't have the ability. They have a limited ability or they find that ability to plan, organize, begin or do tasks is, 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 uh, is limited or slowed. And then there's this reduced socialization and motivation. So it's the deterrent of being around people and socialization, picking up on social cues and, um, humor and, and, and being motivated to be outgoing and engaged, um, with people or groups with people. So those are the examples of positive and negative symptoms, but other symptoms are included like just like any other mental health struggle or diagnosis. It's memory struggles, sleep disturbances, tendency for substance abuse, or uh, suicidal thoughts or behaviors or mood changes. These are all common symptoms uh, for those who are struggling with psychosis. And the psychosis can be treated. Um, however, I have noticed in my experience, and this is from my experience for the past 15 years, uh, recognizing that um, medications and treatment options are always changing and improving. So at this point in time, in my experience in the past 15 years, is that uh, medications and treatments are really quite helpful regarding those positive symptoms. We're talking about the hallucinations, the delusions, and speech. However, maybe not as effective in the negative symptoms. So the flat affect or struggle with um, executive functioning and speech. And But it is through the combination of um, medication and counseling, there is a, a good outcomes, good recovery outcomes. And I know a number of people who experience psychosis who are living flourishing lives, thriving in what they are doing. And I'm excited to have Katie Dale join us today. As someone who lived experience of psychosis, she is living a thriving life today with her young family and being an advocate, author, and artist. Katie grew up in Albany, New York in a Christian home and describes her teen years as being active in youth and the community, but being shy, introverted, she stayed out of the spotlight and preferred small groups and conversations about God. Midway through her high school, she chose her high school career, she chose to switch schools. And it was shortly after this switch that she began to notice shifts in her mood. She struggled with identity, figuring out where she fits, and depression. And while these thoughts are common in many 15-year-olds, it was just the beginning of her journey with bipolar. Around Christmas through to the new year, she noticed that there was a rapid upswing in her mood, and her thoughts shifted from being stuck in negativity to becoming grandiose. But thankfully, less than a year before she began to struggle with mental health, she had an impactful experience discovering who Jesus was that solidified her faith. I feel like that was a internal 
kind of a journey to to find that truth. And then reading on the my own, reading John, the Gospel of John, and coming across John 14, 6, kind of on my own, being like, oh, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And being like, you know what? I have a lot of Catholic friends in the public school. I have a lot of, you know, my family is Catholic. My mom's side of the family. And I'm thinking, you know, we can't rely on other people. We can't rely on anybody but God. And that was a lesson he taught me through that time too, especially that year leading up to and then into my junior year of high school where I fell into depression and the start of my bipolar disorder. Mm. I think for some listeners, it might be surprising that you were starting to experience this at a young age, but very, but little do people know that this is quite typical for teenagers, you know, the 15 and up is actually when symptoms, most often mental health systems start surfacing. Uh, And you shared that was your experience. Yeah. And it was, it probably still is, I would say, uh, typical of clinicians to not want to diagnose quite yet uh, because they want to make sure, you know, you're not, your brain isn't fully formed yet. You're not an adult, but in my experience and what I saw and experienced and then reading the DSM and the diagnostic statistical manual of uh, mental illnesses, I, I felt like I I still feel like I, I self-diagnosed, which you're not supposed to do, <laughs> but all of my symptoms lined up and I talked to the doctor and he's like, right. yeah, it's, you're having symptoms typical of this diagnosis. Um, and it does happen a lot, you know, at that age where they can't quite diagnose, but you still experience it. And you're still working with the, with the medical providers as a team, you know, and should be anyway. And it does come up a lot then through the young twenties and late twenties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a youth going through all of that and was it your, um, you mentioned you went to your youth leader because that's where you felt safest. What was their response to you? Well, they definitely listened and encouraged me in that, you know, like just, okay. And affirmed me, okay, you're feeling this way. You know, they didn't, take any other steps toward any help for me, but I wasn't at that point of breaking down yet. I was just starting on the, the outline symptoms of, and nobody could really pinpoint, you know, put th- their thumb on like, well, what is, what is going on? You know? So, but they were encouraging, they were positive. They, um, you know, they, like you said, listen, validate, and we're supportive alongside you. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So what, what was the journey? What, um, tell us a little bit about your journey for your symptoms, because for some, it might be surprising that bipolar, you know, when people think of psychosis, they often think of schizophrenia, um, but it's quite common or it can be a common feature for bipolar um, type one. And so tell us what that looked like for you, that journey of discovering or un- unraveling until you were able to get seek support. So what's common is it starts with a depression or just press state. And to my knowledge, that's how it worked with me. I, you know, changed schools and it was kind of a trigger to have that big life change, which there's usually that. And then the hereditary 
factor where I believe a couple of my great grandmothers had like at that time they would call it manic depressive, uh, you know, features, but, uh, it wasn't until new year's that year, I started feeling like, you know what, I changed my mind, changed my tune, turn a new leaf. And I started going up into mania about that time. I, I'm a very creative person as it is. And those kind of traits and qualities of my personality were uh, intertwined with the mania, really. Uh, the mania was a state of heightened thoughts, thoughts of grandeur, you know, thinking I was a person in the Bible. As I read the Bible, it seemed to speak so loudly in the term, you know, what I was reading. I felt like I was that person, just these strong identifying feelings that it was about me. And when it wasn't, you know, like the song of Solomon, like my crush in the school was supposed to be Solomon and I was supposed to be one of his maidens. And I'm like, believing this, starting to not hallucinate, but delusionally think. And that kind of grew into outbursts of behavior, you know, like odd, odd things I would do. I was like, you know, using my creativity and my drawing skills to like pass a note to him, which illustrated our class. And like each classmate was a character from like Toy Story or I don't mean, it was just, it was really, it made no sense. It was random, but in my mind, it made sense because it was kind of like the movie, A Beautiful Mind, where he's getting all these messages from the world, from the universe, and is like making sense in his mind, putting it together when it's all fictional or based in, you know, a different reality. So I felt like this was happening to me. And I had seen that movie, A Beautiful Mind, at this point. And I'm like, oh, I must be like a John Nash. I'm a genius. You know? <laughs> That's really interesting because it's 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 taking your gifts, your God-given gifts and the word of God, which is true, but distorting it and manipulating it into something that it is not. And so I think that's really important to share as well is that um, this idea of the grandeur idea or the distortion of, of what truth is, is extremely common. So what someone sees on TV or reads, whether it's a book or the Bible or, or the radio word, like music will be um, construed or, or distorted into a, a, into a different reality than, than what. I was thinking about that this morning on my run, I was like dwelling kind of like thinking back on how did I believe so strongly in something that wasn't true, but the delusional state of mind, it's, I think it's subtle in the subconscious. And then it, like it occurs in psychosis, there's a prodromal state where it leads up to full-blown psychosis there is an actual like period of like seven months to two years. So very gradual, very subtle. That's we start seeing here and there these skewed and distorted thoughts that become feelings that become behaviors, you know, but yeah, it doesn't just all of a sudden you wake up one day and, it, and you're psychotic. No, it's, it's a definite gradual <laughs> thing 
And in that stage of life anyway, you're going through so many changes as a young adult. I mean, it's hard to, to be able to see somebody unless you're faithful and fast friends with someone through those years or your family. Even my family didn't recognize it really till it was too late. I mean, it's hard to, to be able to spot something and be like, oh, and then conjecture or, or, you know, suppose that they might end up psychotic. You just can't do that. But that's how it begins. And you can see if you look back on people's lives, when they look back, it's like, oh, I can, I can see how that was skewed thinking, distorted thinking. And then we came into this full-blown episode. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a gradual thing. So for me, it probably happened within the span of since my beginning of my junior year, it was a few months and maybe three or four months where I got into that state. But, um, the second time I was, uh, hospitalized in my twenties for uh, going off my medicine, uh, I think it, it was about it may have been a little bit longer because I was on medicine and I was gradually going off. But even before I started going off the medicine, I can see those glimpses looking back now of um, distorted thinking where let's say um, we were my husband and his dad and I took a trip lived in Florida and Cocoa Beach at the time. We took a trip to St. Augustine or that area, Daytona, St. Augustine, that spring. And I think I can remember the feverish panic and sudden like immediate prayerful um, response I had to us getting pulled over by a police officer for doing a U-turn in a non-U-turn lane. And I was just begging God, like in the back seat, here I am, like, he's like, okay, show me your hands, everybody. And I didn't put my hands up on the, on the headrest in front of me. And I'm like begging God, please let us go and not get a ticket. <laughs> and I'm on this zealous, like fervent prayer mode. I think I saw it then and, and because, well, and thank God he heard our prayer because we didn't get a ticket. <laughs> but I can see this glimpse of me being like panic mode. And it wasn't the whole time, but it was that instance. And I'm like, wow, um, I wasn't in full-blown full, full blown psychosis yet. But within a matter of uh, two to three months, yeah, I went off my medicines. And I was fully mm. in a manic psychotic state. So. So what you're saying, Katie, is that, or I should say what I'm hearing you say, is that you had your first experience when you were a teenager in your junior year going into the new year. Um, what ha And then a second uh, episode when you were in your 20s later on, and I do want to hear more about that. But can we jump back to your junior year, that first experience of psychosis or your, or really it wasn't even, it, it might have had, had some psychosis in it, but it was really your first experience with mental illness with bipolar. Um, 
Did you end up going into a hospital? Did your parents connect you with the doctor? Um, just want to touch to, on that because people might be going, okay, I have kids in my youth where I'm like, hmm, something's off or um, teens in my my home. What what can we can, what can we share with those who are listening about what they can watch out for, or how they can um, intervene to help when the people or the young people in their life that are experiencing this? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, they, my parents took me to see our, it was my pediatrician at the time I was still seeing the pediatrician, but you know, primary doctor, she takes a look at my records and we do a blood workup for my parents suspected it was a thyroid issue. What's what they were talking about. And so uh, we did that. I came back negative for the thyroid issue and so after that, they noticed some more behaviors and took me to a Christian therapist. And I tried to explain as much as I think I would allow myself to at that point. And we didn't really get any, very far with that. And then after I was having more behaviors, I saw a Christian psychiatrist, which um, unfortunately, you know, she was uh, putting me on a, I believe it was an, a mood stabilizer, an antipsychotic. Within the first few weeks, I started seeing a rapid weight gain and wanted to change off of that. So I talked to my parents and they're like, okay, we'll talk to the doctor. So the next time we went in, we talked to the doctor. The doctor switches me off the meds I was on immediately to the next one. And with most psychotic treating medicines, you cannot do that. You have to go gradually. Unfortunately, she did not advise my parents to do that. And so within like the same day, maybe I went from one to the other, like cold turkey. And that Wow. That'd be hard on your system. Yes, it was. I went into a psychos psych psychosis where I started hearing voices. It was a moment. Uh, they, they were you know, raspy and, and scary. I mean, it was not easy. It was not, it didn't feel safe. I was very paranoid and it was in the middle of the night. I walked into my parents' room and I was like, I'm, I'm scared out of my mind. Mom, can, can I get in bed with you guys? <laughs> I know here I'm at 16 and I'm like, you know, I never slept with them when I was younger, but it was just such a weird experience. And She's like, okay. So she slides over next to dad and I get in and I'm like freaking out. Like this blanket of anxiety was just so heavy on me. And my mind was just at this rate of thoughts going so fast that it was almost hurting me like physically where my mind and my temples were just agonized over this, you know, the way my state of mind I was in. And so at that point, I'm freaking out as in I'm fearful and trying to figure out why am I so afraid of the dark? Like, why am I so afraid at all? And, and then the cue, the voices, like these, like maybe a few of them, like two or three come into my psyche and they start screaming, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And that was it. I was like, what did I just hear? If those are demons in my head, how can I have demons in me if I'm a Christian? You know, my life is in Christ. 
I committed my life to him. Why am I experiencing this as a Christian? We're supposed to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're not supposed to be able to be possessed to my knowledge. I don't think it's possible. So I had these scriptures come to mind right after that. You know, I was questioning and I didn't say any, I didn't verbalize any of this to my parents because I was in such a state of shock. I believe I couldn't verbalize it. But in my mind, I was just living in this terror. So I did, you know, reflect back on those verses where it says we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We can't, you know, we have greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And after that, I just was like, wow, I am, I couldn't comprehend it to a degree, like what was happening. So I, <laughs> I'm thinking it's my cat. It was, was it my cat talking to me? Like, like the donkey in the Bible, like talks to its owner. Like, was it some kind of supernatural miracle or something like that? Or was it right. the fly on the wall? You were trying to process and bring logic to it. And yes. mental health is not logic. And so it's not. Yeah. So yeah, I could see as a teenager trying to figure this out, mm-hmm. terrified. Right. Yeah. I go about, um, you know, processing it in a very, I don't know, just the way I, I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody. Nobody would understand what mind the fact, like I'm already in my own little world because I'm one, an introvert and two, like depressed and manic. And it's just as, is not a prime place to be able to express and communicate those things. So they saw the behaviors where I was running down the hallway and out of my class in school to go to the nurse, like dashing down the hallway after I had been triggered by something on my test page, uh, taking an exam. And so my parents walked in an hour or two later, came and got me, took me to the psychiatrist again. And psychiatrist advised them to bring me to the hospital. And at that point, I didn't know where we were going. They didn't really explain it to me. So I would say if you're in that position, definitely try to explain in a simple way to the young person going through this. You know, we have to, you're not feeling well. We're going to go to the hospital. Um, We're going to get you better. We're going to get you treatment so you can feel better. And so your mind can rest. And it, those are really good, simple statements mm-hmm. that people can just take right there. Mm-hmm. You're not feeling well. You don't have to describe mental health or what's going on because it's scary for them. And mm-hmm. to hear that, you know, voice back at them could be scary. You're not feeling well. We're taking you to the, cause, and the, and that's logical. The hospital is where you go when you're not well mm-hmm. and your mind needs rest. Yeah. Hmm. That's so yeah. simple, but yeah, probably mm-hmm. so soothing. Yeah. I wish, and you know what? Truth be told, maybe they told me that. But in that frame of mind, I was so mixed up because, mm-hmm. you know, nothing but what my mind was focusing on made sense to me. So maybe they did tell me. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you went to the hospital and, um, you know, I'm making assumptions. Mm-hmm. So please correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. You saw the doctors. You went through different groups. You spoke with different counselors. You received medication. And and was there an immediate response from the medication? Or was that gradually coming out of that fog or, or that um, experience? I'd say it was a gradual, gradual journey. They mm-hmm. trialed me on a few different meds while I was in the hospital for three weeks. Uh, that is probably an extended period of time for, I would say most cases, but 
Uh, fortunately, I was able to be there for three weeks. And at the time, I didn't think it was that fortunate. You know, that's the last place <laughs> I should be at the time. But no, it was the best place I could could have been. And so once I got on a certain dosage and regimen of medication there, they were, you know, they transitioned me to the outpatient mm-hmm. program where I went out to a outpatient site like once a week, I believe it was maybe twice a week. Mm-hmm. And thank God my teachers and my classes like did not hold me back a grade, but I was able to finish my schoolwork and finish the grade out fine. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely a process, a journey going forward to, you know, you still have those residual, they call them residual symptoms where like the psychosis, you still believe certain skewed disordered beliefs or you still hold on to deep down inside. You're like, oh, could that have been? Um, mm. And you know what? Fact of the matter is I still believe that I experienced things that uh, happened. And mm. maybe somebody says, looks at my story and says, no, it couldn't have happened. But, you know, the, the, the first thing I wanted when I went was in that state of mind, suffering and, and having that, you know, trauma going, going through all that mental illness is I wanted people to believe me. Mm. And that was my heart's cry. I just wanted people to believe me because then I could feel reassured that I was okay. And that was, it was going to be okay. Whether it was true or not, isn't for us to determine, but to be able to be validated is, is the biggest desire of somebody in that frame of mind. And you don't have to agree. I think Mm -hmm. that's so good. I think that's so good, Katie, that you don't have to agree, but you can validate Mm -hmm. their experience. And so often we want to say, no, that person that you think is there is Mm -hmm. not there, or those Mm -hmm. voices are not real, or what you're experiencing is not reality. And I, to what end? Why, what, what does it matter? Rather than saying, wow, I know, mm-hmm. I believe you mm-hmm. that you are yeah. seeing that, or I believe you that you're healing that right. doesn't mean it's true, but you believe that that is what that person is experiencing. Mm-hmm. And I think it is for those who are caring for other people. I think we, we don't want to, um, encourage these delusions or encourage these hallucinations, but Yet, how valuable and how helpful is it to be validated that they're experiencing that, mm-hmm. whether it's real or not? Exactly. Exactly, Laura. Oh. Yeah. That's good. So after that experience in high school, I know you went um, to secondary post like school and you went into the mental health field as a professional, did you not? Uh, yeah. Later on, after my second episode, I was in my late 20s, early 30s when I went into the mental health field. I actually got a degree in college for uh, business administration and uh, was able to use that degree very well and into, you know, so, somewhat of a doorway into the mental health field. So going into work with people who had diagnoses like mine was uh, very, in some ways it was easy to identify with them. But in other ways, I had forgotten like what it was like to be 
in that mind frame. I mean, it probably been say 24 and 25 was when I had last experienced my episodes and I was probably 30, 31 when I was, I mean, five years isn't that long, but I still, you know, couldn't always relate to my clients about what they were experiencing. Everybody is different, but at the same time, I could say, you know what? I hear you. And and I could tell some, in some cases, they didn't encourage us to, but because I had lived experience and, I, and yes, I wasn't a peer, like certified peer support, but I was like able to tell people, I think I know something of what you're going through and share my narrative when it was appropriate. Um, you know, so they understood that they were going through something that wasn't just them kind of, it was more common. Yeah. So. That's really powerful. I love that statement. I think I know something about what you're going through. Mm-hmm. You're not saying, I know how you're feeling. Because no, you don't know how you're right. feeling. No one can really say that. Right. And that often is a trigger for people. Saying, oh, yeah. I understand. Oh. Right? People are like, no, you don't. So that's often a trigger. But you can say, I think I think I can. I, what you're saying is, I think I'm starting to understand something mm-hmm. about what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. So it's it's saying that, you know, I'm listening, I'm hearing you. Mm-hmm. And it's sharing a little bit of what that, you know, just just a glimpse of that, you know, I went through hard mm-hmm. stuff too. Mm-hmm. But m- keeping the story or keeping that session or that time together about that other person. Yeah. So I think that's really, really great. Mm-hmm. You have these great one-liners. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and so I really do want to highlight some of the work that you're doing with Bipolar Brave as well, because it is really a brilliant work that you have. And uh, I would love to hear about your book and your blog and what you're doing in this faith and mental health space that you kind of, what what you have experienced, you are putting to, to you know, submit, submitting it to God and putting it to good use. I'd love to hear more about Bipolar Brave. So I started my blog probably 2014, I want to say. Uh, I started just dabbling in blogging, called it Bipolar Brave because I, one, I thought it sounded good. And two, it was like, oh. It does sound good. <laughs> yeah, I'm bipolar. And uh, yeah, it kind of was a scary thing to go through. So I think I needed a little bit of bravery <laughs> there. Um, but I've since kind of changed the name to my site name. Uh, kdrdl.com, but I still have a, a blog feed that's okay. bipolar brave. And that is my mental health and illness segments, yeah. you know, where I talk about my experiences and what I've learned. So yes, that is correct. Uh, I also have a book that I wrote on my experiences in the psych wards and my hospitalization hospitalizations going through my symptoms at 16 and 24. So I've chronicled that in, it was called, but deliver me Mm. from crazy. It's on Amazon. You can just type in, but deliver me from crazy. Uh, It's available there. And we'll link it in the show notes. So people can just click through. Yeah. Um, So that explains, you know, in detail what those symptoms were like to go through it. I wanted to write it from a perspective of, you know, through my eyes, here's the reader's going to kind of experience or walk through my head as I experienced it. And at the end, I, I do wrap up and I'm like explaining more in a narrative way. You know, these are what I experienced. Here's what my 
parents felt. Here's how I got better. Um, so it's not your typical memoir where you're like, oh, here are five uh, points to apply in this situation. It's it's just more of a story. Uh, but for practical application, I do have a free resource on my website, kdrdale.com. It's called The Game Plan, a mental health resource guide. Guide. <laughs> oh my gosh, please tell people about this. This is like my favorite Aww. thing. I have referred so many people to this guide, like legit. Someone's like, I don't know how to help someone who's yeah. in hospital, coming out of hospital, first yes. time psychosis, first episode. Like, how do I help someone? I'm like, oh, you need Katie's, you need Katie's game plan. Yeah, go grab yeah. it. Go grab it. So tell us, tell everyone about this amazing resource. Okay, so something similar in idea to the wrap, the wellness recovery action plan, but I actually, you know, took it from my own mind. I, uh, was taking my experience and kind of just applying those, you know, what I, what would be helpful. It's a downloadable PDF and it's probably like 10 or 11 pages. And you got the first page is like your medical health info, medications you take. Um, second page is like healthcare providers and your team. And it has placeholders for all kinds of, you know, which social worker, psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, all that. Um, and then the following pages are like national help helplines and um, crisis intervention trained officer in your local area, like hotlines and resources and even a suicide prevention plan uh, and a coping plan, which is like, I give you ideas of coping skills, things to do to proactively prevent um, suicidal thinking or, you know, tendencies. And a lot of resources at the end are like podcasts and websites and influencers and organizations, Christian and secular that, speak to this kind of stuff. So yeah, I pack it all in that one free download and it's available at kdrdale.com slash resources. Uh, just sign up for it and you'll get also a monthly email newsletter from me and keep you in the loop. Yeah, it is so good because people, parents are like, I don't know how to talk to my child or I don't know how to talk to my teen or I don't know what's helpful. And this is a really great talking and conversation tool that you can use because especially in those coping areas, it's like, you know, what is helpful? And the person might say, you know, when I'm alone or when I'm with people, but people don't talk to me. Like, I don't want to be peppered with comfort questions. You're like, okay, cool. So next time you're not feeling well and you just say, you know what, I want to be in the room, but I don't want you to ask me 500 questions. I'll know why, because you're trying to cope with what you're experiencing. So there are really great ways. And some people don't think about, okay, what actually makes me feel better or what actually helps things like reduce or release in my mind or in my body. And this really, um, not forces, but encourages people to walk through, okay, let me think about how this would be helpful for me. And then you, and having all the supporters information and texts and um, phone numbers and all the information right there on hand is a really amazing tool for caregivers, for leaders, and for the person themselves. So thank you. Thank you so much for creating that. 
It's so good. It's so good. So you, you know, you are now a mom with uh, young kids and married. Um, you've gone through ups and downs, which I think is important to understand that there's ups and downs, but all of all thinking back all the way through, if you could send yourself a voicemail or write your younger self a letter, uh, knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself back in the early days? Probably in the early days, let's see, I'd say <laughs> I'd probably explain to, to myself, hey, you have bipolar type one. <laughs> like <laughs> you're not just losing your mind. You actually have a sickness, you know, oh. like it's not it's you. It's not you. There's yes, something going it's, on. It's not oh. you. It's not because of, it's not your fault. Like you are not to blame for this. Like it's not a character flaw. It's not, you're, you're not a weak person. Like you're experiencing like a hardship, but also a sickness. And uh, we need to find you treatment to help you get better. So you can have a full functioning life sooner the better. So um, I would tell myself that I'm worthy of a healthy mind and, you know, that I'm worthy of the love um, that all my family has for me and that God has for me. Um, I would say, say it gets better. It does. It gets better from here. Thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard today into action. How are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care for both yourself and for others in your church? And don't forget, if you want to be reminded when an episode goes live, make sure you subscribe. Thanks for connecting and take care.